Hi, and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. I'm sorry a, an episode hasn't come out since the 12th of June. On the 13th of June, um, a fellow comedian, young Melbourne girl, was raped and murdered on her way home from a gig. Um, Eurydice Dixon, and I haven't really been able to say anything since, uh, or not, I haven't been able to say anything since, there's not the way to put it, I didn't know what, I, I couldn't think, I, I didn't have words really, uh, I don't, I didn't know how to address it, or if it needed to be addressed, I couldn't not address it, and I didn't have the words to talk about it, um, in an adequate way, it's a terrible thing, it's a really, really terrible thing, and not just on a personal human level, it's also a terrible thing for uh, the community. But I also don't normally deal uh, directly with news events. I tend to keep this apolitical as much as I can. Um, I, it's more about interesting ideas than it is about gut feelings. Uh, tea with Alice for me at any rate, or if, if it is about gut feelings, it's about unpacking them. Um, and examining them and and looking at them as interesting and r rather than determinative of your life if you have a feeling it's it's an interesting thing rather than something that um, you are swept along by without um, thinking about it I couldn't really unpack my reaction to that news um, both on a personal level and you know, what it means for the people around me, the people who I used to live alongside in Melbourne and my um, my workplace uh, of my loose collegiate workplace of comedians. So in the absence of having something good to say, I chose to say nothing at all. But I did record uh, conversations with people and I will put one of them up now. Um, because I don't, I have, I've come to terms with the fact that I will not be able to say anything useful or good that will unpack the feelings I have on this and look at them in an interesting intellectual way that I don't, I'm not capable of that. Um, and I'm sorry if, if that is what you were hoping for from this podcast or from me regarding this particular s subject. This, uh, this, this podcast is a conversation I had with Tiff Stevenson. Uh, she's the guest for this week. I'm glad to have her on the podcast, as I, as I always am. We had an interesting conversation in which we touched, among other things, on these events. Um, and I hope you enjoy listening to the conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. I really, I really love having Tiff. Um, and... If you uh, if you have yeah I have I <laughs> I can't give advice I can't ask you for anything um, in this regard thank you everybody who supports me who supports this podcast thank you everyone who contributes to the Patreon it's one of the reasons that I can afford to get home safely at night. And that's a new thing in my life for many years, doing comedy um, meant getting home late at night, catching buses, walking home, 
whatever it happened to be, getting a lift if I could, maybe with someone I didn't necessarily feel 100% safe with, all of those choices and balances and negotiations that you make every night when you're an open mic and when it's not quite your job yet, when it's a luxury or a hobby or something you're pursuing or some dream you're chasing. So um, thank you for your support. Um, thank you for your emails, alicerfraser at gmail.com. Thanks for following me on Twitter. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Thank you for your patience. I'll let you get on with listening to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. Um, so, welcome back to the podcast. Who are you and uh, what are you drinking? I'm Tiff Stevenson and I am drinking a pint of water because it's incredibly hot today. And you just had a, an iced tea and made me... Uh, sorry, you, you had an iced coffee and made me an iced tea, yes. which is delightful. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, iced green tea, which has a frothy head on it. Which it's amazing. You blended the ice in, which I had not thought to do with iced tea. Um, Nutribullet. It's, yeah, it's great. I'm very happy with that. Anything with ice blended in it and clouds on top is mwah, in my book. <laughs> it's excited the downstairs neighbours. I don't know if you could They're hear that. having a picnic outside, which is fair enough. It's, it's bloody hot today. Roasting. What have you been uh, wrestling with recently? Well, we've been wrestling with, I suppose we saw each other last night, didn't we? We've been, we've been talking a bit about the events that happened in Melbourne. Yes. Um, which have been shocking, to say the least, for people who are here. So I can't imagine how much more shocking, you know, and so devastating. people who don't know or people who aren't um, following or haven't followed this particular piece of news, uh, Eurydice Dixon, who was a open micer, 22-year-old woman in Melbourne, was murdered on her way home from a gig. And um, it's really awful it's really close to home um well close to where my home used to be but also we've all had that haven't we we've all gone home after a gig late at night someone's dropped us off at a train station or we've walked or we've, we've walked got a bus yeah. and that's the fear right yeah i think it taps into the worst fears that all of us have because the bottom line, really, with female comics is we are connected. Even if there's female comics that we don't agree with or don't get on with or don't like their material or don't find them funny, whatever, we all share this connection and this vulnerability and bravery of getting up on a stage and doing this job, which now there are more and more women involved in it, but, you know, it takes a certain type of person and a certain type of set of, I guess, of insecurities and vulnerabilities and weirdness <laughs> yeah. to want to be up there in the first place. Um, and we all share that with each other. So I heard about it and I just, I felt upset and, 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 and fear for everyone I know who, who does this. And that's not to say that this happened, so it's going to happen to more female comedians, but I think it obviously made us feel incredibly vulnerable. Yeah, and... I'm just going to shut the window yeah, one sec. <laughs> vulnerable and... Vulnerable and lucky as well that this 
you know, it just suddenly makes everything that you've ever done, every time you've gotten home safely, it turns it from a matter of course, of course you get home safely, to, oh, I've come home safely hundreds and hundreds of times and each time I was just lucky. Yeah. And Be- that's a really unpleasant thing to feel. The, 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 fe- the, the feeling or the thought that someone could just turn up and go to do their job and do what we do, just turn up at their work, perform, leave, and that's it. But yeah, it's, and it's not just female comedians. Um, and this was the thing. It's women, it's safety of women. Yeah, well, this is the police commissioner came out and told women to be careful. Um, and then there was a big backlash against that. They said situational. Situational awareness, carry your mobile phone. I don't know what her situational awareness was like, but she was on her phone. She was texting just a few minutes, you know, before she was saying, I'm nearly home safe. How are you? Um, to her boyfriend. Also, what that says is that it's up to women to adapt their behavior rather than us looking at male behavior. Yeah. How about instead of us adjusting our behavior and having situational awareness men just stop raping and killing us <laughs> like and it and and it sounds so base when i when i say it that way but it's and it's out of pure anger of course we're always aware women have i mean it's ridiculous to say we don't we're brought up with this kind of constant fear it's why we carry our keys between our fingers yeah or you have hairspray in your bag i used to have a tail comb which had a spike on the end of it yeah, well, it's this why is you thing. sometimes take your shoes off so you can move at speed or have trainers in your bag. You know, we are I aware. I wear any clothes that I can't run in, and I've ducked behind fences and I've hidden behind cars, and at various times I've, you know, taken you know buses that I didn't need to take or gotten off buses because there was just a wrong vibe. We are careful, and sometimes we're not. And it, to, to tell. I think the problem with that statement of telling women to be careful, of course, women should be careful. Everyone should be careful in their lives, um, not because it's your fault, but because you want to take some responsibility for your own safety and you want to feel like you have some control over your own safety. That's a good feeling to have of going, well, yes. I've done what I can. Yeah. But, but sometimes you're not careful because you're a human being in the world and you can't spend your whole life seeing a threat behind every bush. And there's sometimes when you feel a bit creeped out and you go, no, just keep Push walking, through. keep your chin up. It's not, it's just a, a fear in the night. It's just a gremlin in your dreams. And I don't want to be scared when I'm walking at night. So sometimes I just refuse to be scared when I'm walking at night. And then it, all of that is part of being a person in the world, right? So, but it's it's when you contrast that kind of, be careful statement by the police, which is a reasonable thing for them to do because they feel helpless. Well, what about when you are being careful? For example, my Uber journey that I had, was it the beginning of this year? It was a few months back and I'd, I was coming home from Old Rope and I hadn't really drunk and I got in an Uber and they've never addressed this either. I complained to them and nothing came out of it and maybe I should have gone to the police. But here's the other thing as well. For women, this happens with such frequency. People are like, call the police, da, da, da. And you're like, I'd literally spend my entire life. And that's where the conversation goes. It has to stop being in our hands and actually start being up to the uh, people that are supposed to keep us safe, like the police, 
like the any of the bus services, the taxi firms, like the venue own, owners and managers and the promoters that book us, that it just doesn't make it our responsibility. But what happened to me, and you probably remember this story because I live tweeted it, was I got in a cab after Old Rope on a Monday night and it was about half past 11, quarter to 12, and I wasn't drunk. I'd had like one Prosecco maybe early on in the evening. The fact that I even have to justify <laughs> any of that is crazy in the first place. But it is an important detail because I got in the cab and he was playing weird sort of hypnotic music. And I was like, this is weird music. And normally when you get in an Uber, they go, do you want to put on your playlist or do you mind Magic FM or Heart or whatever's on the radio? Mm. And he had this weird hypnotic music. And I sat in the back because I always sit in the back because the one time I sat in the front, the driver kept constantly putting his hand on my knee and trying to read me his poetry. <laughs> so now I'm not... <laughs> oh, no. That's even worse. That's worse Sexual than the hand on the knee. And bad poetry. Yeah. Um, so... I so I <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, he was like, I recognize you, I recognize you, what do you do? And I said, Oh, nothing. I write I, I write I write books. I just sort of lied and went, I write books. Um and then he went, Oh, well I um I write as well. I write poetry. Can I read you some of my poetry? And just kept putting his hand on my knee. That was another time, and I was hung over that time. Mm. And the first part of the journey, I'd been in the car with my friend Roisin. And we dropped her off to like the laundrette to take her clothes to be cleaned or whatever. And then I'd got in the car. But it was a very sort of hungover, hot, sunny afternoon. And then he went round some diversion and I sort of fell asleep in the front and woke up. And I was like, why am I so far from my house? Oh God. And then I made him stop so I had to get out at the side of the road. It was awful. I mean, I once got in a taxi and the taxi driver offered me some of his tea and he said, it's specialty. And I went, oh, no, thank you. I'm all right. And he said, it means I can see through time. And oh, I said, shit. I'll just get out here and got out in a underpass, in like in an underground tunnel freeway situation because I was like, I am not staying in a taxi with a man who thinks he can see through time. I had a taxi pull over into an alleyway and say, are you a party girl? You look like a party girl. This is this... I mean, this is when you're catching a taxi home in order to be safe. In order to be safe so you're not walking or getting a night bus. So this, so this taxi I got in, so the hypnotic music was playing. And as we sort of started to come back through, to heading towards North London at sort of about Kentish Town, I was like, God, I feel really... That's right. All the windows in the car were closed and he sprayed something in the car. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what he sprayed. Mm-hmm. But all of my spidey senses kind of you know, went up like he sprayed something. And I remember feeling quite drowsy. And I was like, wow, I feel like I'm going to fall asleep. Like, and this is mad. I haven't drunk. I'm not tired. Why do I feel, oh, I need to open a window. And so I opened the window and then he closed it from the front. Mm. And he said, no, 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 you can't open the windows. The windows are broken. And I said, no, no, no. And I opened the window. And then he went, I can't drive fast with the windows open. I can't have the windows and then just absolute panic. Like, at this point, I felt like I was literally going to pass out. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can get chloroform in a spray. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't even know what it was. It could have been anything. Yeah. It could have literally been anything. And I went, I need the windows open. I'm going to be sick. I'm going to be sick. So, like, he pressed it down. I pressed it open. And then we're coming up, like, sort of archway road. And I'm like, pull over here. And he's like, what? And I was like, I need to get out to be sick. But I didn't want to say, I want to get out of the car to leave. Because I thought... He's not going to let me. Yeah. 
So I said, I'm going to, I need to throw up before we, and then I got out of the car and I was like, I'm not getting back in there. And he stayed there for ages. And then I had to go and ask a workman. I was like, could you please walk with me? That's, I'm in that taxi and I think he sprayed something in the car. I think he's trying to drug me. And then I had to get on a bus. It was so awful. It was so awful and terrifying. And, and I, I think I was right. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is the thing. And I, I think sort of the problem with the statement, you should be careful, is not that you shouldn't be careful and it's not that that's, you know, the police are right to tell people to be careful. It's that when in Australia in the media this has been drawn up quite clearly, the contrast between the one-punch attacks that happened in Sydney. Yeah. When those were announced, they said these horrible, cowardly men have attacked innocent civilians. This is a terrible crime, this horrible violence among among these people. Who would do that? What kind of a terrible thing is that to do? And they used that. I mean, there's some corruption underneath it as well, but they used that to shut down Sydney night, nightlife. Some of that was the new casino and moving people into the new casino and away from King's Cross, basically cleaning up right. King's Cross. But the media, the way the media played these attacks, unprovoked, innocent civilians walking down the road, was not... You need to increase your situational awareness. Yeah, it was not civilians. Why are you putting your face out there to yeah. be punched once and be killed? Well, you know, you're walking in King's Cross. It's a dangerous area. What do you expect? It's yeah. not that. It is. It is. You know, these terrible, cowardly men, and they changed the name. It used to be called uh, just colloquially getting king hit is when someone, you know, sucker right. punches you in the back of the head, getting king hit, and these you know young men, a couple of them got uh, fell into comas, and one of them died this kind of thing happened. But the response was so universally, who would do that? What a terrible thing. How how dare people think this is a funny thing to do or think this is an okay thing to do? Not be careful of people coming up behind you. Yeah, yeah. You know, not wear neck braces. Not, not maybe you should think about attaching uh, a rear view mirror like a car to your shoulder <laughs> yeah. so that you can see... And so you, because it's about it's about the victim, in, and it's you know yes. When it's a woman, it always seems to be about the victim. It always seems to be about were you drinking, what were you wearing, which way did you go home? Well, that was stupid. Rather than who, why would these awful people take out these unprovoked attacks on innocent civilians? Yeah, and this is part of the thing. I think partly we are so careful all of the time, and then sometimes we just don't want to be careful. It's imagine living in a world so most women are smaller than most men. So you're living in a world where most people, 50% of the population, are the size of the rock yeah. compared to you. If, if you're a man, yeah. imagine it's 50% of the population the size of Dwayne the Rock Johnson walking around at all times and a small percentage of them are Crazy. bad the rock. Bad versions of the rock, you know, yeah. Rather than the sweet gentleman we all know him to be. Yeah. Uh, some of them are a risk. And after a while, when you're constantly taking taking this risk on, just walking around in the world, there's this risk. You know, Winnie M. Lee was raped in daylight in a park. You know, yeah. These, you know this risk is constantly present. Sometimes you just ignore the risk. Or you don't, you're not constantly keyed up to the absolute Or you extent. think you have dodged the risk, which is what happened to Winnie, for example, for our, for our, our friend Winnie, who's you will have heard on, on, on the podcast and is a long-time friend of mine. You know, that she... He stopped to ask her questions and she sort of thought, I've answered the questions and gone, carried on walking, then all of a sudden realised 
there he was again and he said, I'll direct you. And then before you know it, there's no one around and he's directed her. You know, she thinks he is the safe person. Yeah. In the initial instance. So, yeah, it's, in, it's incredibly frustrating to hear that. And I think female comedians have been talking about ways to kind of positively move forward with safety issues. But like, yes, like we say, this is bigger. This is bigger than just it being about comics. But this is any woman who works at night, any woman that has a public platform as well. Because sometimes after shows, you do get aggressive men coming up to you. I mean, I had one at the end of my show just the other day. He sat in the front row and he shouted out the whole show. And it turns out at the end, he was coming up to kind of go, I love you. I think you're great. But he sort of like grabbed me, was on me kissed me and I was like uh is anyone around please and you know my partner Paul was up the other end like going to get the merch so he wasn't there and I was just sort of vulnerably on my own after the gig being just sort of having this man on me yeah who tried to disrupt the entire show and sort of crossed boundaries by I and I think you're beautiful and you know but like in that weird kind of almost like trying to dominate you sort of way yeah. And so we get that a lot. Like, I'm sure there's been tons of times after a gig, you've, there's been a guy that's been too keen. Yeah. Um, and has not, you know, I think Sarah Pascoe has a story about someone, I don't want to reveal her story, but I think she does it in her stand-up, about someone at a show who would get photos with loads of comedians and handed over his phone and it just had loads of like pictures of his dick in it. So it's like, scroll through, you'll see your friends. And then, you know, like like in a stealth kind of have a look at my dick way. I mean, I, I just, we all have stories. So, I mean, this is a, okay, first of all, this is a terrible, terrible tragedy. Second of all, people are using the tragedy to express their own political views, as seems to happen so much. Like there are a few kind of, I think, bad faith arguments going around about this. Um, one of them is uh, how can you... Because, okay, first of all, a lot of women are coming out now on public forums and saying, men, look after your female friends. Make sure they get home safe, all of this kind of thing. And one of the responses to that is, well, feminism, you want equality and now you're looking to men to protect you. <sighs> can yeah. we... Can we unpack that one a little yeah, bit? Yeah, let's unpack that. I mean, good God, nothing in feminism has ever said, we've never said men aren't physically different to us. No. <laughs> and are scary because of that physicality. In fact, feminism talks often about our oppression through our physical Yeah, and I, I would say the reality of, of, I think, at least good faith feminism is going, men and women are different. But historically, historically speaking, things that men are good at have been seen as more valuable than things that women are good at, whether it's socialization or biology, whether how much of the differences yeah. are, you know, social and how much of them are biological. We're different but equal. What we're striving for is yeah, equality. Why, why is not a successful mother as celebrated as a successful businessman? Businessman, yeah, of And course. then people go, well, capitalism. And you go, but why capitalism? Why yeah. is capitalism the thing we value? Why is... Why not? tribes and families and villages and you know why we, we, men invented the wheel women invented weaving you know it's no good driving a car if you haven't got anything to wear yeah. a woman discovered dna 
you and know, then men got the credit for it. Yeah. You know, like it, it's, um, yeah, it's yes, it's that I'm seeing that a lot. I'm seeing feminists. You want to have your cake and eat it? Um, yeah, which one is it? And you say, oh, actually, no, we're not asking the asshole men. We're asking the good men. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or or men that might not even realise. So I shared a story on Twitter that like once after a gig, I asked a male comic to walk me to my hotel. And I was like, we, we, are, you, are you staying at the hotel? He said, no. And I was like, Will you, do you want to walk with me? Then he told his wife afterwards and she went, you fucking idiot. Like, you know, then it was one, I think it was like a glee club. It's down a canal path. Yeah. So I'm literally going, could you please walk me? Down this scary alleyway. This scary alleyway without, you know. Um, and then he said, oh, my wife said to me that I'm an idiot. And like, that's actually really scary. And I should have walked you. But he thought you were hitting on him. Thought I was hitting on him. Thought I was cracking onto him. <laughs> and she told him he was an idiot. <laughs> um, but yeah, so and, and a lot of the Glees actually have Cardiff Glee, Birmingham Glee, maybe not Oxford, but like the Birmingham one, you have to go through an underpass to get to the hotel mm. where you stay for that. And Angela Barnes commented on that the other day. So there's been times, I mean, there's been times, there was a time recently where I was doing Cutting Edge at the Comedy Store on a Tuesday night, and I walked from the Comedy Store, which, to Leicester Square Station, and I don't know how you measure that in metres. Hmm. What would you say that is in metres? I'm uh, not very good at these a, things. About 300 metres? Yeah. I got stopped four times in that walk by different men just by dint of being a woman on my own at night. And I remember tweeting about it at the time, kind of going, when will you fucking get it? We don't want to be approached when we're on our own at night. What would make you think, and it was all very defensive, why we shouldn't, we can't even speak to a woman anymore, should be able to approach, shouldn't be on your own then, should be able to go over and say, say hello to a woman. Like, why is it our problem? You know, like literally that. And you're going, have you thought about how you might look? To a woman on her own. One of them was just like, oh, you look like you had a nice face or an open face or something like that. I thought I'd talk to you. And then just kept following me. And then he went, oh, now I'm being weird, aren't I? Yes. And I was like, please leave me alone. Yeah. Like, what else? And then the fact that you're saying that is like, God, you're up yourself. Yeah. And that was just from walking from the comedy store to Leicester Square. And yeah. do you know what? None of the comics on the bill offered to walk me to the station. Yeah. I've, occasionally there's like one or two comics I think maybe Ian Stone because we get the same train and I think he's sort of got I was like are you going now when they leave I have to be like if I stay for a drink I was like, who's going who's going to you know because I need to get to the station because I I don't yeah. want to walk on my own so myself and Tanya Edwards walked together I had the other night and then you you're sort of damned if you do damned if you don't Not well someone might go I'm going to Piccadilly Circus that's happened a couple of times I've walked up and, a, and we go, oh, we walk into the station. Well, well, I'm going to Piccadilly. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to Leicester Square. Bye then. Yeah. Not getting that. Well, I've had that kind of backfire on me once and in a sort of a deeply unpleasant way. And this is a story I haven't told on the podcast before is I went to uh, the comedy store to support uh, Tom Rigglesworth, who's a friend of mine. And we, I went along uh, just and hung out backstage as you do when you go to a gig with a friend that you get you go backstage and you chat to the comedians and ended up doing a short spot like a five minute spot um mainly i think because i bluffed out the owner of the club um 
by just in conversation saying, oh, who would I need to uh, talk to to get on? And I think he was offended that I didn't recognise <laughs> him. And he's like, oh, it's just me. You got your first on after break. Interesting thing about Don Ward, if you neg him, he'll probably put you on. Yeah, which I didn't, you know. It's <laughs> you just need to game Don at the comedy store. And I went on and I did fine. And then afterwards uh, we were chatting and Tom went to leave. And I went, oh, I'll come with you mainly for that reason, to just walk to the station together. And as we walked out, I realised I'd left my phone in the room and I leaned back in the door to grab my phone and actually the other woman on the bill went, well, I would if I was him, sort of implying that I was going with him. To shag him. To shag him, despite the fact that he is married and all of that. And it was just this sort of sickening thing of, well, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. How am I supposed to be in this world if... No matter what. My I friend do. that I've come to see that I'm leaving with. You saw me on stage. <laughs> I'm a comedian. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm not. I don't don't know. dismiss me as strumpet. Yeah. <laughs> but also, but also, even, even if knowing you're a comedian, still kind of doing that is like kind of going, you know, we don't have to have, and Merrill O'Rourke said this, you know, this like kind of bravado or toughness, or like even if we're tough on stage, except that. There'll be moments where we come off where we're vulnerable. Yeah. And, you know, I had it after tour show with this, like, guy that came up to me, this Northern Irish guy, and, and I tweeted about it, and then he was like, please send me your email so we can talk further. And it was him and his wife, and they were offended by me doing stuff about Northern Irish politics and abortion. And I was like, I don't want to have... Like, I'm now defending my funny to you mm. when I'm trying to talk to other people after the show doing merch and then I'm have to like because people like that I then have to go do I actually want to go out and do my merch after the show or do I just tell people to go online and buy it because I've always genuinely loved like talking to punters after the gig yeah it's interesting and I like doing that and I like to know where people have come from and if they want to take a photo and stuff like that but then you know those kind of instances make you go oh no now I don't feel safe yeah and you're not going to let this go yeah have you seen any other kind of arguments that you think are bad coming up after this? Oh, well, no. I only, what I did see was a bit... Because last time we spoke, we spoke about Jordan B. Peterson. Down mm -hmm. to Jordan B. Peterson. And so I'm seeing a lot of stuff coming up about him at the moment because he's been asked to do this festival in Aspen. I don't know if it's a right-wing festival, but I saw Jess Valenti tweeting about it. And generally, I think Jess Valenti is very much on the money. However, I saw a video which I showed you called the is it the Imaginarium of uh, uh, of Dr. Jordan B. Peterson, which is frustrating because I think it's an a, attempt at a takedown of him. And what I get frustrated by is I feel like some of his ideas or some of his points are correct, but I feel like they're being ghettoized because he's now just literally relentlessly being invited on right wing things. So of course that because increases. of this kind of no platform principle right and it, then it, what happens is it increases that kind of following separates put people in a bubble over there so if you look at the things he's been talking on and they're using this to slam him it'll be like white men in america uh uh how liberalism is killing everyone political correctness gone mad um what was one of the other ones he did um why are young men so violent yes you know um etc etc and one of the sections, and I just get frustrated that no one's properly challenged him because some of the stuff he says is stupid and wrong mm. and is very easy to take down. So there, for example, someone was interviewing him about sexual harassment in the workplace 
And he was basically saying that he, and this is not misinterpreting. Mm -hmm. These are his words. Yeah. He says, uh, what about makeup in the workplace? And the interviewer says, what about it? He was like, maybe we should ban makeup in the workplace. Start there. Why? What would that do? Well, you're sexually, you're trying to sexually manipulate or motivate men that are around you. And that's not what makeup always is. Sometimes is. Look, I don't... A lot of the time isn't. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. The, oh, there's so many things Well, the first thing this. he says is, you put red lipstick on. Why do women do that? It's to make it look like they're flushed, like they're sexually excited. And you go, cool, what about the women that wear green lipstick? Are we trying to sexually well, then, excite also, aliens? Because yeah, <laughs> I've got green lipstick, I've got orange. business suit is meant to flatter a male figure and make you look broader in the shoulders and thinner in the waist. Right. I mean... A lot of clothes and things have that any kind of... Any clothes or any accessories. Let's if, if we take it out of makeup for a second, that's what advertising was. The beginning of advertising, the birth of advertising, was to tell people that one pair of trousers wasn't enough. You wore your one pair of trousers till they wore out, until advertisers went, we, we apply... Because it was someone like Sigmund Freud's nephew yeah. who came up with the first principles of advertising. And one of them was, is we aim everything at the ego... Yeah, we aim everything at the ego and we make it about sexual attraction and desire so using that basis if makeup is to make you sexually attractive let's see if you've got a watch on because you only have that watch or that brand in order to make yourself seem more sexually attractive and viable as a mate you know you can use this you can use this same argument to kind of go it's a bad face have you shaved your face why have you shaved or have you grown a beard have you grown a beard to look more manly therefore to be more sexually attractive to women take your beard off in the workplace if you're going bald have you shaved your head or are you trying to regain your hair what all all of these things are you know of course there's a sexual element to a lot of human behavior but there are other sort of normative behaviors i was told when i started working at a law firm that i needed to wear foundation and i had fine skin uh, in my early 20s, I had very nice yeah. skin, but they said it was like wearing stockings under a skirt, that it was a, it was a professional smoothing thing to do, that it, it presented yourself in a professional way. So in that instance, I was not, I, I didn't actually wear foundation because mm-hmm. I was um, not very happy at, all, at the law firm and didn't particularly want to conform. But when I was told to wear that, that was not wear makeup to be sexy, it was wear makeup to look professional, to look polished, to look like you're in control. You know that that this is a it's a mask you wear, yeah. To present yourself as a as a product of the firm, to present yourself as together, to make it to look like you haven't just rolled out of bed yeah. and rocked up at the office. That there's signals of something other than just you know that for me at least that was you know I was I was told to straighten my hair. Uh, it was. I was asked why I wasn't wearing heels. Oh, I, and I would have also said to Jordan Peterson. I mean, when it, what, what are we talking about the fifties here? What are you talking about? Like, sure, if you go back to geishas, I used to have a routine about this. About geishas used to do a hairstyle. I think they called it the split peach, where mm. they would split the hair and they would put a red flat, or they put red in the middle mm. to literally make it look like a sexual, you, you know, a vagina. So yeah. you used to have this. What you walking around with a vagina on your head, mate? as your vagina head. It was very stupid. Mm. Right. Fine. If you want to go back like that, but kind of going, assuming that everyone wears red lipstick, assuming that everyone, it is a bad faith argument to kind of go, because actually I'd wear makeup if I was going to meet a female friend or going to a house or just on a day, if I felt like it, some days I wear it. Some days I don't. Makeup is just another tool to express your personality, really, in the same way that we do with clothes, where we go, I'm giving you visual 
clues as to who I am as a person. Like our friend Let's, Leslie has rainbow coloured hair. Yeah. You know, and you go, oh, it's Leslie with the really bright, you know, that's who she is. And one of yours is your like beautiful curly hair. You go, oh, Alice has like a lion's mane. <laughs> like it was just like hair, you know, and these are the things that we kind of go, oh, that's who, they're, they're just kind of visual identifiers. This is a side note. I once went into a hairdresser and said, I'm, I'm thinking of getting it all cut quite short, a little sort of dandelion thing. I was running a lot at the time and it was just getting in my way. I'm saying, I'm thinking of cutting it all short. And the hairdresser said, are you a dyke? Wow. Went, um, just a trim, thanks. Because I didn't um, really know what to do. There's no question that out. you're an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, what, what do you mean? And he was like, well, that's what it'll make you look like. And I kind of went... I didn't want your opinion. <laughs> I didn't want your opinion. But there is a, there's a point there, which is that what you wear tells other people who you are. Whether right. you want it to or not. Yeah. Even neutral. Even neutral clothes. And for, for women, I've said this before on the podcast, it is very hard to dress neutrally because your body is seen as part of your clothing. Yes. Women's bodies are seen as a choice in a way that they sometimes are to a certain extent, but mostly aren't. As a person with big boobs, you know, this is... And, and, and Laura Davis and I were discussing this the other night. For an extended period of time... But these things that you don't have choices about and being sexualized consistently by your body. And there's any sort of two modes with boobs. You know, you either frump it up and cover them up and you just look huge all over. Yeah. Or you go, okay, I'm going to admit that I have this shape. And yeah. by admitting you have that shape, everyone's like, you're trying to show your shape off. And you're like, oh, well, I'm just like in hell now. <laughs> yeah, there, there's very few... Um there's a very few neutral options. Uh, I had Adam Richardson on the podcast talk about how he always advises young male comedians to not wear jeans and a T-shirt on stage, to wear a shirt to, to show both that they have some level of professionalism, like a button-up shirt, but also to show basically to negate all of the symbols so that they can just speak as a, as a brain in a box, basically. If, you, if you're not giving out many signals with your clothes, then people will listen to what you're saying. Yeah. They won't judge you on how you look. They'll wait for you to speak. And I said, what about women? What's neutral for women? Because button-down shirt and slacks for men is neutral Yeah. in our current society, in the current norms. Uh, maybe middle-class neutral, if you want to put it that way. Um, and he said, women's bodies are a costume already because there's so much symbolism put on women's bodies already by culture and art that it's always a statement just coming on stage. If you come on stage in jeans and a T-shirt, that's a statement. If yeah. you come on stage in a dress, that's a different statement. Yes. It, and I've gone on in shorts before. Yeah. And I always used to... It's, it's interesting, actually, because I remember one female comic saying to me, well, what's this deal with all the women wearing dresses now? We didn't do that in my day. And I went, well, I've just always worn what I want to wear. If I'm out in the day and I've got cowboy boots and leopard print shorts on, then that's what's getting worn on stage. Yeah. Because that's what I'm wearing. So I'm, I kind of, uh, I think the line between who I am in real life and who I am on stage, I want to be as, uh, as well, thin as possible. You know, like machine, Laura Davis's show, she spends the first three quarters under a sheet. Right. In part because of this, in part because she has this hyper feminine body, and uh, she, jo I mean, she jokes about it on stage about the fact that you know this this show got so many awards and was kind of so many uh, critical, so much critical acclaim and she's been doing very good comedy for a long time. She said it sort of, it says something about how it's easier to succeed easier, as a ghost yeah. Uh, yeah. when no one can see who you are yeah. um, than it is to succeed. Then they take away all their other judgments. Yeah, when it, you know, just a voice coming out from under a sheet. 
And I mean, of course, all of that's kind of loaded and heightened and, and silly and jokes and all of that. But it's also true. You know, there are there are times that I've gone. I used to do jokes about bingo wings, and then I remember Stuart Black saying to me one time we doing it on stage and going, "Do you know what? You've been working out for about six months, and they're just sort of not there." So. I don't think you can do that joke anymore. Yeah. It was like, because physically it kind of like your arms look really good and you look, you know, like, and I was like, oh, but they don't, they still do. And he was like, yeah, but it, you know, so always, we're always so aware of physically what's going on with us because it affects what we can talk about and how we. Because it colors your speech and it flavors your speech. Yeah. And then sort of, this is another argument that I've seen floating around and something that I've kind of extrapolated on when it comes to, and this is moving away from the terrible victimisation of women to the somewhat less terrible but still terrible victimisation of women with this kind of um, hashtag me too stuff. One, yeah. of, one of the arguments I've seen are, is women are, ex- women are attracted to power in men. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what you know what's men's responsibility there or sort of are you saying that women aren't you what what jordan peterson said in that video i don't know how out of context are you it saying was that taken. women never sexually manipulate men Ma- manipulate men or or use their sexual currency in order to get ahead yes so that I don't it, think you you're leveraging, sexual currency but you're yeah. leveraging beauty against power yeah and that you're using your beauty which is a kind of power against this man's power power to get somewhere that yeah. you want to go. Of course that happens. And of course that of course that happens as well. So then but there is that really does open up an interesting question because if if men who have power are more attractive to us, you know, say significant segment of the population of women, then what's their responsibility? Yes. Or vice versa, if women are very beautiful, what's their responsibility? To men, of course, there's less of a threat there because if you misuse your beauty, y- y- someone isn't going to die. Yeah, um, or, it's or have their unlikely. career stonewalled, or yeah, it's uh, which is not to say that women can't do terrible manipulative things and be of ruin course. people's lives. But in this instance, what is there a heightened responsibility for men in power to a be aware of their power, which is not always easy to do. It's not always easy to think of yourself as a powerful person, especially if you spent your whole life thinking of yourself as an underdog. Yeah. It's very hard to change that self-conception. And then B, if you have something attractive about you and people are throwing themselves at you, what are you supposed to do? Because yeah. you, want, you want sex, you want to be attractive. People are attracted and to you. And if you think it's mutual and you, you think that it is consensual yeah what's your responsibility as a man other than not murder your partners yeah what's what's your job there i and i don't know the answer to that but i was just thinking um oh the thought has now disappeared from my head again sorry (laughs) no that's all right no it was just when you were talking there about the reversal of um oh no, it's got away. It'll come back. What were you saying before you were saying the uh, what's men's responsibility? That women can have use beauty. Yes, and, I mean, and we uh, can use that as a... It can be wielded in a way. Oh, the disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> um, sometimes I'm not aware of when a guy is looking for that. So I called it in my A to Z of sexism, I called it disappointment. 
which is where someone comes to you and they go, oh, I think you're really talented and mm. great and amazing. And, you know, you think it's because they want to work with you or they're interested in your ideas. Then it turns out they just want to fuck you. Yes. And then they go like completely cold and you're like, oh, so this was never about me. And so I've never been the best at kind of gauging when men want that. Because I always go, oh, it's because I'm, I'm funny yeah. and I have smart ideas and, you know. And then I had an interesting conversation with my partner who was like, are they not allowed to? Are they not allowed to want that? Does that make them bad people? I said, I think it does make them bad if they then disappear or go completely cold or then try and stonewall you for not wanting to have sex with them. Yeah, it sort of makes them bad if they're lying to you. Yes. And and that's a question, right? That's a that's a real question. I mean, we spoke in the consent casts before this about how men need to think of themselves as attractive. Yeah. In themselves, men need to Oh, I know be... what it was about. It was about victimhood as well. Because yes. I, I mean, if 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 men don't think of themselves as attractive as having attractions in and of themselves of being then they think then they think the only way that they can have sex is to be predatory. Yeah. Or to gain power and be irresistible because they're powerful and and they're not very good at unpacking the strings and no one is of, of figuring out what part of why someone likes you is your physicality and what part of what why someone likes you is your ideas. You know, I it's a it's a super hard problem. Yeah. And I don't know the solution. I once it's had sort someone of obviously the solution to men being this disappointment is if they want to fuck you to tell you tell that to tell you that straight out of the gate, in which case you're most likely to go go away. Yeah. But also, maybe that's a better thing. Or they think they can they have want, a sustained campaign of working on it yeah, over you. time because men are taught. We've discussed this before. Men are taught to persist. And was it the uh, was it the New York Times that sneakily lo- used one of our lines from this podcast? Oh yes. Which uh, no doesn't mean convince me. Yeah. So I had, God, just remembering this now, I mean, I've had so many of these sort of situations, but I remember doing a temp job years ago and there was a guy that worked there as my manager who, and I was really young at the time, I would have been late teens, early 20s, who was, who obsessed, like was obsessed Mm. with pursuing me to the point that I was like kind of outwardly rude to him. Mm. And I remember at the time he had like gray hair and I was like, you know, (laughs) like, cause I would have been like 1920 and I was like, I don't like, oh, you know, and I had a boyfriend at the time and they were like, what's the deal with this guy? Like he's really super. And then he just used to bring like gifts into work and I would say no to them. And then he'd get really upset and angry at me. So eventually I just started taking these things. But I didn't really want them. They were tarnished. So I'd end up giving them to my sister. We'd have new shoes and wardrobe and da-da-da. You know, and then there was a point where we became friends for a little bit. And I was like, oh, he's cool. And then I was like, oh, no, he's not cool. He definitely wants something more. Then there was a company car. Then there was a car that was given to me. And I said, I'll buy it. Then he refused to take the money off me. Then I just had this car. And then it was like angry and accusatory yeah and weird you know and I'd I'd sort of forgotten of how long that went on and occasionally now I still hear from him and I don't remember how he got my number maybe it was like a Facebook because I changed my number about seven eight years ago yeah I think maybe after I did show me the funny 
because I was getting quite a lot of contact from people that I didn't really want contact from anymore. But this is the other thing of how much are you going to reject the cards you've been dealt out of suspicion? Yeah. So if somebody well, it's a work a situation. Job. He's in power. He's the boss. If he says we're going for long lunches, if he says we're going for an office, you know, it's kind of like a temping job. But also he's like, oh, I think you're really bright. You know, so all of these things are combined in it as well. But I think I was so clear that I didn't want anything. And I couldn't been, have been more obvious about like, yeah, we can be friends, but I don't like find you attractive in any way, shape or form. Yeah. And then consistently try to maintain the friendship in all its ways and forms. And now I just get aggressive text messages every now and then. Like still telling me that car? <laughs> no, telling me I'm a lefty fuckwit and I don't know what I'm talking about politically and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. That's actually, that's only, that's one person that that happened with. There's someone else who I had a, a similar odd sort of relationship with as well in a work situation. Um, and maybe I am naive to when it's happening. I'm like, oh, I don't know, you know. But I do know that I don't flirt. I do know that I go in kind of a lot of the time in any of these meetings or situations going, I have a boyfriend, I have a partner. And also that's made it easier for me within comedy because I'm not, I say easier. There are people that when I first started in stand-up and I would have been, you know, my late 20s then, well, late 20s, no, maybe just turning 30, like that were very uncomfortable with the idea of me being around as a single woman. So didn't want to put me on against so this was women I met. So there'd be, be guys that tried to crack onto you and women that viewed me with suspicion as if I was going to try and fuck all the male comedians that they liked. Yeah. That work within the industry. Yeah. And that's not one something... female promoter in particular who, who was very, um, who was not very nice to me at all. Yeah, and how much of, of having power or having beauty, and of course men can be beautiful and women can be powerful, how much of having that is using it? Just having it, if it brings you advantages, are you using it or is it just something that you have? Is it, I mean, is it, is it a privilege or is it a burden or is it both? Is it well, it's a relief to be with Paul, to be able to, for people to kind of not see me in that kind of threatening way, to yeah. be able to go, no, no, I'm with someone. Yeah. <laughs> And for the male comedians that I was friendly with that kind of wanted to crack on to me, to stop cracking on to me. Yeah. Well, it didn't stop some of them, but, you know, it, de it did stop others. But, like, it, 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 I think... How many of them did it stop and then your friendship evaporated? Oh, a few. Which is an interesting one. That's always an interesting one because, again, you feel betrayed. You feel like you've been... Well, you feel like you are... We're honor amongst thieves like you not saying that comics are thieves but we it, it feels like it's not a brotherhood or a sister we feel like a community yeah within that so you assume that if someone's a comedian and they want to be friends with you it's very much because they are interested in either you comedically this is where all the lines become blurred you know and i've had a one quite big situation with a you know i've had situations with a few comics one with definitely with one who is, you know, pretty successful and a thing happened between us. There was a bit of a fallout and we're friendly. I would say we're, we're friendly now. Like, and I like, but we have an odd relationship because one of the things that happened was, you know, he cracked onto me. I said no. And then he told everyone that I rejected him. 
Which is such an odd thing to do because I never told anyone. And I was like, it's not a story. I don't dine out on that kind of thing. Like I told you no, you know. And then another incident happened down the line where I was basically sort of slammed publicly in a, in a, in a late night bar in Edinburgh by this person who basically went, you know, and like, it, I might have been at the time 34, mm-hmm. 35 was described as, you know, once the hot young thing that everyone wanted to fuck, but now no one cares because she's old. I mean, the idea of me being old at 34, 35 is, and now to be fair, you know, the person has since apologized and. Which is why you're not naming him. Yeah, because I feel like, yeah, yeah. Um, otherwise I would, <laughs> but otherwise, like, and I think since we, we've been, fra- we have a, we've always had a fraught relationship because I struggle with some of the misogyny and we argue about stuff. But then also beyond that, there is a friendship we- and there is a common ground and there is a, you know, that's someone who's always sort of respected my work and always thought I was funny and, you know, technically he hasn't done anything he hasn't done anything wrong and it's not even trying to slut shame. It's more kind of tried to make me insignificant out of the ego of being rejected. Yeah, but I mean, to go back two steps to what you just said, I think it's something that I've been wrestling with recently and so maybe that's why I've pounced on it. The fact that you are still friends with this person I think is a good thing. Yeah. So we're in a world at the moment... um, and I spoke about this with Phil Nickel, who I've recorded a podcast with that I'll put out uh, probably next week. But um, Chris Hardwick recently was accused by his ex, without naming him, but it was clearly him, of having been abusive towards her over the course of their relationship. Um, And she claims to have evidence of this. Various people believe her, various people don't. The point is that the Nerdist website, which he helped found, has removed his name from their page as a founder. So they're sort of erasing him from history, which I have a big problem with. Yeah. Because, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Um, Everybody does terrible things at one point or another. So you can say this man, you know, was the founder, now disgraced and put a a link to what he's done or or you can just erase him and not have to deal with the problem. But if you do that, then how far back do you go? And also, if you put everybody who's done something wrong in this kind of shunning situation, if you throw them in the bin in whole, what happens is like the kind of the purity politics that's happening now means that there's no redemption there's no comeback there's and no you know redemption, there's no and comeback. maybe maybe it oof, god it's so difficult because all i've read is details of that what i found fascinating was patty hurst's response what did she say well you know she's his mother-in-law i did not know that and she's the woman who was kidnapped oh in the 70s she was the famous from a rich family and I don't know what the Hearst Empire was, but joined this Symbionese Mm. Liberation Army, and they held up banks, and some people got shot, and there was a whole, you know, 
But then she was, I mean, someone said the other day, the literal definition of Stockholm Syndrome. But I remember that being the first thing of, like they were saying that she was kidnapped to be held for ransom, but then joined the army, but then did things under duress. And interestingly, with this case at the time, uh, so I think she went to prison, but there was, and then ended up marrying one of the policemen who was sent to protect her while she was being held in custody or whatever. Um, and she sort of said, so there's one side is, is, is she a sociopathic rich person that thinks because she's so rich, what she does should have no consequences. Mm. Or is she this vulnerable person that was kidnapped and forced to do stuff she didn't want to do, right? So this this whole... Why not a bit of both? So there was, yeah. So there was Clinton or someone that went for a pardon for her. And the person that came out and contested it, interestingly, Robert Mueller. Ah. So back in the 70s. So bearing in mind that if we take everything that Patty Hearst is saying on face value, mm. and she was indeed a victim of Stockholm Syndrome and was forced to do things... The idea that she couldn't potentially see this girl's argument, even though that's her son-in-law, so that she couldn't recognise. Yeah, she's come out in defence of him and called her bunny boiler, which, as references go, is fucking decades too late. <laughs> but whatever, you know. Um, so uh, interesting that that she couldn't go. Well, hold on a second. I know what happens when you are lured into a situation or you feel like you're in a situation that you can't control and you're forced to do things that you don't want to do because it's literally what happened to her. Yeah. So. Well, so for me, the, the Chris Hardwick instance is less about the case, which I know nothing about. Uh, I don't know the man. I don't really follow his work. I don't understand the, both sides of the argument. She could very well be telling the truth. It's probably more likely than not that she is. But I don't. I don't know. But also, there has to be there has to be due process. There has to be. That's the one side of uh, uh, the kind of Jordan Peterson says that I go. Okay, right. Yeah, I. I kind of. You. We can't do trial by Twitter. We can't do trial by us all deciding yes. what the outcome of something is. And I know it's always complicated. And I know it's very hard for people to come forward. So I don't want to be dismissive of that i have read it i've read his statement i've read her statement and there is within it there's controlling behavior mm -hmm. and then there are people who've corroborated the controlling behavior mm -hmm. which involves her not be, uh, removing all photographs of male friends mm -hmm. that she had now she's young and he's you know i just feel like i recognize this because we've all been in relationships like this but she's like maybe 19 20 and he's probably in his early 40s at the time or okay. 40, just hitting 40. So it was controlling. She wasn't allowed to say they were in a relationship. But I think the one thing that's the big part of this is that she one night said she didn't want to have sex. And he said, my last relationship ended because my partner refused to have sex with me. So bear that in mind. So she said she did have sex, but wasn't there. Mm -hmm. so it was kind of unconsensual it was sexual assault within the relationship and he made a joke and referred to it as starfishing mm -hmm. so she would say I don't want to and he just she'd just lie there and he'd get his rocks off yeah which is emotionally manipulative at best at best it's a horrible thing to do to your partner at worst it is rape yeah depending on 
you know, the conversation that they had around it. So, and so then the flip side of that is people going, so man loses his entire career because one woman says a thing and, you know, you go, he hasn't lost his entire career. What's happened is his show's been suspended. That doesn't mean it's going to be cancelled. I'm sure if he's cleared of everything, he'll go back to work. Yeah. But so for me, this, the, the reason that I kind of brought it up is because there is this, and it, maybe this isn't the most relevant example, but what it brought up for me was the, the fact that I've now had a few friends who have for, you know, I, had, I have a friend, Kirsty Wiebeck, who did a tweet and then got very, very badly attacked by it, uh, for it by the left, by her allies, despite the fact that she's done a lot of very, very, very good work, that she did this one tweet and it kind of wrecked her in the eyes of a significant portion of her colleagues and, and apparent friends. And then there are other more serious things up to this kind of Chris Hardwick, Louis C.K. Yeah. end of the spectrum. But particularly when it comes to the smaller stuff of saying the wrong thing on stage or on Twitter or, you know, in these kind of experimental forums and then getting done f for it or indeed doing something wrong and then being kind of Or just being a town. bit shitty with women. That's when my situation was, just a bit... Sh you're a bit shitty with women. But then, then what happens then is that the left has this standard of membership, really, where you're allowed to be part of the group, rather than being held accountable, rather than having to deal with the consequences, the consequences just being thrown in the bin for any almost any level of this kind of sin, what you're going to end up with as a result, the only people who are going to be able to stay that pure are going to be hypocrites. Yeah. The only people who will never say anything wrong are lying. Yeah. Or they're performing. Then they're, yeah. they're not real people or they're not doing anything interesting. They're just sticking to this weird party line out of fear or whatever it is. And then that's a bad situation from where I stand. If you don't give people a path to redemption, if you don't give people the benefit of the doubt or even, not even the benefit of the doubt, just the, the conversation. If you know platform people and don't let them yeah. have this consequence, if it's just hatred spewed at them, if it's not explain yourself, then it is all you're going to get are these people who are constantly propping up their own status by attacking other people at the yeah. same time as hiding their own uncertainties, hiding their own shame, hiding their own sins. It doesn't seem healthy. No. And also the need to attack other people to kind of almost take the heat away from, from yourself is... But yeah. these, yeah, but, and then when it comes to less terrible things, more human sins that are nonetheless terrible things. So I had a friend who, um, who was with a, her husband for many years and then they kind of opened up the relationship. It all went south. He left her for a year and then came back to her. And then there was this question in their relationship of how do we get past this? Yeah. And I remember talking to him about it. And, and saying he, him saying, I wish I could just do a, a thing, you know, build a house, slay a dragon, have some sort of <laughs> yeah, yeah. quest because otherwise this taint... How do we get past it? Well, can you get past it? I mean, the, the current attitude is you can't get past it. The yeah. moment you do a wrong, and what he did was wrong, 
But is it that anyone who does anything wrong is out of the balloon? Just chuck them over, overboard and they're never part of this again. In which case you have a, a smaller and smaller and smaller membership of the balloon or you're expecting humans to never do anything wrong. Like, I just don't know. Well, here's the thing. They're all, they're all... Because some things we, are we're, we're, well, Because we're, yeah, some things are unforgivable. But that, does that mean unforgivable as in should be punished by the law or unforgivable as in unforgivable in a relationship? Can a friendship recover from it? And I think that is... Just straight up. I mean, I think I did. A t- I was trying to find my tweet there, but I did a tweet about just any men, um, kind of who've stonewall. Yeah, here we go. This was one I did back in December. Men, even the good ones. It's probably worth asking yourself this question: Have you ever punished a woman for turning you down? Slut shaming, rudeness, threats, verbal abuse, humiliation, physical intimidation, or stonewalling her career? Now is a good time to say sorry. And then people kind of going oh, well, you know, I'm fucking, uh, why should I? And, you know, um, and then kind of going, real men won't. So lots of men kind of going, um, I've never done this. I'm a good guy. And I'm like, that's fine. But just think about it. So that was kind of more like my situation was, you did a bit of a shitty thing. Now, within the Chris Hardwick story, there is one of the things is that she goes and has an operation for an eptopic pregnancy. Mm. And she says, I love him. And he was there for me. My mum was at the hospital. And when the doctor came around and said, she's going to be fine. He's like, great. When can she have sex again? Now there's nothing illegal in that. It just means you're shit with, you're a shitty dude. You're a shitty dude. Was, I mean, and was that a was joke? It a joke? Was it delivered as a joke? Was it him puncturing the tension? If so, was it a forgiveness? But also, should he, be, should he be punished for being a shitty bloke? Like, for being a shitty guy. That you're in a relationship with someone who does that. That might be the point. And we all know, like, in this and in these situations... And, the, and again, I don't want to make light of because I don't know. And I read the account and I was like, this is, you know, horrible. And it's someone who's in the midst of having an eating disorder as well. And so... You and, know. There, and there are people who are shitty in some ways who are not shitty in other ways. How do we deal with them? You know, can you still love... But that's love, just relationships and human interaction. That's the way, Yeah, that's why I, you know, there's no point in me getting nothing bad. Like, I've had bad stuff happen to me and I've had men make me feel unsafe and scared. And the example I'm talking about earlier on was just an exchange that was just shitty. It was just shitty about me and it made me feel shit. And to be fair, that person apologised. And then you have to be able to allow that to happen you have to kind of be able to accept if someone goes oh, i'm sorry i fucked up there i did that wasn't cool what i did and to be able to move on now or move on in a nuanced way one of the girls who used to bully me in high school of all of the girls who used to bully me in high school one of them has apologized she came and she's out of the blue on facebook one day she said hey i have children now i just want you to know looking back i behave badly and we're not friends yeah. But I, I'm friendly with her. She comes to my shows. We occasionally have a chat. And you appreciate her saying that or yeah. doing that. You and, know. And, and it doesn't erase what she did. But I do appreciate that. It takes a lot. It takes a lot for someone to admit that they did a bad thing and not make excuses for it and not uh, say, well, you were, you, know, you were a weird, freaky kid and you deserved it and so it was fine. 
you know, you were a weird, I was a weird freaky kid. I probably deserved some of the flack that I got, but also it was unforgivable what some of yeah. the things that were done. Yeah. And then some of it is forgivable. Some of it, you know, you were a high school girl, you were a, among another group of girls. I know what it's like when there's either a strong-minded person in a group and they're all bitching about something. It's easier to say nothing or it's easier to join in. I get that and I can forgive that to a point. Yeah. And, and it's also up to the individual life. that something's happened to as well. I don't know what the ex would like the outcome from this to be. I think one of her problems, and this is where it kind of then becomes more nuanced, is the stonewalling of her career. And people kind of going, if you've got an ex who's going, don't hire her, she's a nightmare. Because you don't want to accept or acknowledge your shitty behaviour around that person was a problem, they're a reminder, therefore it's easier to take them out of a work situation. But then that's that's probably more harmful. Or I think what she was saying was the upset or the harm came more from that than in the relationship. That's why I didn't speak up at the time, as hurtful as this was, that someone I loved did these things to me and they were wrong. The fallout was, I can't get work. Yeah. I get to, you don't get to, sometimes as women, it's like, we don't get to fucking win. I get punished if I get, if I say something, I get punished if I don't, you know, and that is so upsetting. I've definitely spoken up on a thing before and the punishment has been, I've been seen as a problem. You're not going to work with us on this thing before. For yeah. speaking up about my objectification and, you know, of a, of a genuine thing that was a problem. And my, my the, the upshot of that is I don't get to work with those people anymore. Yeah, and that's a, that's a really bad thing. But yeah, I, I, like, I, like I said, it's such a, a weird, messy, unpleasant thing. The whole thing is weird, messy, unpleasant. And I don't know if there is an answer, but I do not think the answer is chuck them all in the bin. No, it can't be. It because can't be. It means that people won't step forward. It means people won't admit when they're wrong. It well, it does mean it means that if we do, like, it's part of that thing of going towards when they're saying situational awareness. You go, no, how about we make these people aware of their behaviour, and we make it possible for people to be aware that actually, you've, from every level of it, from whether it's consistently harassing a woman on the way to work, and the guys who are doing that thinking, oh, it's fine. It's funny when I shout out the window of my office at this woman as she walks past every day. Or it's fine if I just like, every time this woman comes, I, I make a comment to get coffee in the morning, make a comment about her breasts. And to maybe make those guys think, no, 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 that's not cool. All the way down to, it's not appropriate for me to, oh, and maybe it's appropriate. You can ask someone out in a work environment. If they say no, then don't punish them for it. Don't punish them for saying no. Just accept that. God, I keep feeling like I keep going round in it. In increasing circle back to my piece of stand-up where I say it's about ego so much of the time for men this is about ego and rejection and it is hard to be rejected but this is the thing it needs to be it needs to be for everyone you need to make it easy for someone to reject you yeah and that's the really kind of the only way that it's okay to approach somebody is if as we said in the last podcast, if you're not standing metaphorically or physically between her and the door. Yeah. If she can walk away, then you'll know that her yes means yes. Don't, I mean, women, obviously, as far as you can be, be careful. Don't sleep with people you don't trust or, you know, don't, don't 
make yourself vulnerable, of course. But for men, don't sleep with someone who you don't trust to say no to you. Yeah. Like you have to, where, you know, you just have to be careful of people around you. And yeah, that comes back to what we discussed on the previous one is that women are taught to resist or not want it or to own our sexual power and men are taught to persist. Yeah. If a woman says no the first time, but that, that just means she probably wants it, but she knows she can't say. And again, and a, a bigger discussion a slow... about, because that's happened in a couple of things recently, again, a couple of cases where it, 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 people are saying, well, no consent. They, they said they didn't want you go, but they didn't. They didn't say they didn't want to. They didn't say no. It happened without, you know, and the difference between active consent. Mm. And the, I don't know if this is a generational thing as well, but you have to kind of, there has to be a line and the line has to go with where the law is. Yeah. Well, yes. At and the maybe, moment. maybe work on and maybe that needs changing it. And maybe that needs to be, uh, needs to be broader, you know. Um, yeah. What's our standard of proof in social situations when it is, when it is a sub law thing, when it's just something that's gross or icky, what is the burden of proof? Where is the moment where you go from innocent until proven guilty to tainted for life? Yeah, or you could be having sex with someone, say, for example. So you're having sex with someone. I've got to mean, there's so many women that I know this has happened to, and this is how I, I wrote a piece of stand-up about this, about the phrase smash her back doors in. But there's been scenarios, if you're having sex with a guy, and then all of a sudden he's trying not to have vaginal sex with you. Or whatever it happens to be, pulling your Whichever, hair. Or... Yeah, pulling your hair or could be, you know. But, but a thing that is requires consent. Yeah. In the middle of sex. Like, is it okay if I, you know, or someone going there and you have to go, no, 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 no. Like, uh, that's, hap you know, or you, if it's a thing you're not into, someone starts going hell for leather on a thing. You're like, no, 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 no. Yeah. I want to have sex with you, but I don't want to do that part. Yeah. I want you jabbing it in my ear, whatever. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, but w whatever it is. Yeah, let's, let's talk about this later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's have a discussion and do flow charts. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have to wrap up because uh, we've been going for an hour and ten minutes. Um, yeah, as always. As we do. Where yeah. can people find you online? What have you got coming up that you want people to um, go to? Uh, 28th of June, I'm at the Underbelly South Bank doing Bombshell. I think for the last time in London. <gasps> Yes, get along to that if you haven't seen it or if you have seen it but want to see it again before it. Um, in a big of it, in an upside down purple cow. In an upside down As I said the cow. other night, listen, you know, people have, Leonardo DiCaprio won, a, won an award for being inside a dead horse. <laughs> <laughs> and essentially being fucked by a bear in the snow. So I can, you know, I can, I can be in an upside down purple upside cow. Upside down purple cow. Get props. Well, I've got, um, I'm going to be in Australia next week. Um, I'll be doing Irrational Fear, which is a live show uh, with three Alices on the bill, which is a nice change. A triple things. Alice. Triple is that Alice. what triple A is? Yes, that is. Um, and then I'll also be on Tonightly and I will be doing, uh, hosting the Mumbrella Awards if you're a media exec. But then I'm coming back on the 30th and as is my self-destructive want on the 1st of July, I'm doing the trilogy. Uh, Three-hour shows um, in one three-hour show. You get two breaks. I don't get any breaks. <laughs> so come along to that. That's at Leicester Square Theatre in the downstairs room if you would like. Tickets are actually moving, which is astonishing to me, but um, please continue to make them move. 
thank you for coming on. I'll have you on again soon. Yeah, thanks. Always good. Bye. Lovely rifle, darling, lovely rifle, darling.